1: Hello and welcome back for another episode of That One Time On Tour. The first three episodes have been awesome. Thank you guys very much for listening. Uh, Like I said last time, we've had a lot of international listeners, which I'm very excited about. So shout out to my listeners in France, Italy, Japan, and South Africa. To my buddies in South Africa, I say lecker by a donkey. If you're from South Africa, you know what I'm saying. Uh, So yes, this is episode four, and I could not be more excited about my guest this week. My guest is none other than Dan Mr. Precision Vaklinski from 88 Fingers Louie, and rise against. 88 Fingers Louie is one of my top, probably five favorite bands of all time. I have an 88 Fingers Louie tattoo. Uh, I met Dan back at Warp Tour in 1999, and I gave him a demo of my then band Chronic Chaos and conned him into recording two full-length albums for us at his studio. <laughs> yeah, this one, this one was a, was a treat for me because I. It's kind of crazy that you you meet someone that's in your one of your favorite bands. You get to be friends with them, and uh, I've known Dan now for, that's crazy, 19 years almost. That's that's insane. So uh, check this out. This is episode four of that one time on tour. Uh, I really think you're going to enjoy this one, uh, and plus Dan is such a great guy. He owns a recording studio, like I mentioned, so... Even though we did the interview over the phone, he recorded himself and then sent me the wave file, so this is the best sounding episode that I've done yet. So any of my future guests, if you're listening out there, if you have access to recording yourself, we should try to do it because I can line it up and it sounds great. So uh, without any further ado, here it is, episode four of that one time on tour, my conversation with Dan, Mr. Precision Vaklinsky of 88 Fingers Louie and Rise Against. hey dan what's going on man how's it going chris it's going great I feel like it's been a really long time man it, it has been <laughs> well i I just want you to know i'm I'm honored to have you on episode four of that one time on tour we don't just talk about tour we talk about everything but That's you cool. you are in and founded one of my favorite bands of all time. I even have an eighty eight fingers Louis tattoo. I,
0: I know I remember that well thanks Chris
1: I just you guys I mean you guys kind of changed my whole, whole outlook like you guys are from chicago i 'm from down here around Indianapolis and yeah. when when I heard your band, it kind of opened the door to the whole punk rock thing like I was already into like some no effects and some fat records stuff, but when I heard you guys. I got excited because I'm a metal guy and I'm a hardcore guy and I hadn't heard a band that put it together like you guys did. Well,
0: thanks. Yeah, yeah. I think, I don't even know if we were trying to do that. I think it was just our, our different influences coming together and that's kind of what happened, you know?
1: Yeah, because I mean, I like I said, I've been in punk bands my whole life but I always had that metal thing that I loved and when I... I just remember when I saw, for one thing, your long hair in the picture on the CD was cool. Was like, oh, there's a metal yeah. guy in the band. And then I heard some of your riffs and I heard some of the, some of the solos and I'm like, okay, this is, this is what I want to do. And you guys kind of changed it, me away from, I mean, I love skate punk. I love the whole thing, but when I heard 88 Fingers Louie, it was just, it was life changing, man. So thank you so much for that.
0: Hey, thank you for listening. Appreciate it.
1: And then get into, you know, later on, I, I saw you guys for the first time. In 1998, I believe, uh, in over in Muncie, Indiana, at Stevie Ray's House of Wax on the campus of Ball State, and okay. you blew my mind again. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was crazy to me that you know you guys actually came to the town I was living in at the time, and I got to see you for like. Ten dollars or whatever it was
0: yeah i kind i kind of remember that if that wasn't the place where we played there's one place where we played like on a wrestling ring or I'm, i might be thinking of a different okay
1: show. you're you're thinking of something a little bit further into the podcast okay you, okay
0: i'll wait i'll wait
1: because <laughs> I, I i booked that show and my band actually played with you guys that was a different That's, band altogether
0: i think i remember now yeah okay okay i'll 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 hold off sorry I'm jumping ahead of the game here
1: well for some of my some of my um <clears throat> friends that might be listening from the muncie area but stevie ray's was a CD like a punk rock CD shop at uh, in the village of the campus of Ball State University that was kind of way up these stairs. Now there's like a Jimmy John's there, but uh, well, it's like it was up in this kind of like loft thing, and you had to load everything up these stairs. So you might not remember. I don't know.
0: Yeah, those are the things I try to forget. Is loading.
1: <laughs> I Man, I tell you, that was a great place to have growing up. Though I saw at the drive-in over there. I, That's I, awesome. I saw like, crazy bands over there, including you guys. <laughs>
0: Wow. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Muncie, I, I didn't think, you know, Muncie would have that much of a scene, but I guess in the nineties it did.
1: They didn't really, I wouldn't say they had like a quote unquote scene, but like certain time, certain like kind of mid-level bands when they were starting out touring would come through Muncie, I guess because of the college.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah.
1: But yeah, that was the first time I saw you guys. Uh, cool. And I will tell you that is the first and only time I saw you guys because the next time I was going to see you, my band Chronic Chaos was on tour, and we were driving to play our show at the 513 Club in Atlanta. We drove a day early, and you guys were supposed to be there with AFI, and you did not show up.
0: That's right. That's, yeah, we <laughs> broke up on that tour.
1: We were so excited because we're like okay we're all off work we don't have to be at the 513 club until like Thursday or whatever AFI Fury 66 and and 88 Fingers Louie is playing the day before we'll just drive down early and we got there and we walked in and we found out you guys broke up.
0: Oh, man, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no,
1: it's it's okay, man. We were just, yeah. I was kind of bummed out because I was excited that we were playing the next day and I felt like we were actually getting somewhere because my favorite band was playing the same venue the day before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so uh, can you speak a little bit about that? I mean, I know you guys, let's, let's go back a little bit. Be- Behind Bars was the first full length, correct?
0: Yeah, that was the first full length we put out on Hopeless Records.
1: Okay, so Behind Bars comes out did you guys do a lot of touring a lot of promo? I know that there was like a breakup after that.
0: Yeah. Well, we did some touring on that. I'm trying to remember. I think we played like California and Las Vegas during that time. Again, it's kind of, it kind of gets jumbled in my head for all the times I've been out. Um, But then we did. um, Yeah, we were doing, I think a full tour with AFI. That was the time where we, uh, we broke up and I think we only got through like seven or eight days of that tour. Um, but before that, yeah, we did like, we would go up to Eastern Canada and we did, um, I think we did snow jam that year. Um, that would have been 96 actually, but yeah, so we did, we did a bunch of touring here and there, went down to Florida and whatnot. That was earlier on actually. Um, but yeah. And then basically that tour is when it all started kind of falling apart. Um, mostly due to, cause Dennis had just had a kid and was, he was, he just got married. And so it was kind of like, um. It was very touch and go at that point. And at the last, I mean, he already had decided that he didn't want to go like the day before tour. And we're like, are you kidding me? We have to do this. You can't, you can't just bail out the day before a tour. And then he was like, okay, screw it. I'm going, I'm going to make it happen. And we did make it happen for as long as we could. And then, uh, and then that was it. That wasn't, you know what though? That wasn't the AFI tour. That was good riddance. I kind of messed those two up. Because AFI A- be was later on, I think. I mean, yeah, mean Just yeah. from my,
1: my knowledge of the universe of 88 Fingers Louie.
0: <laughs> A- absolutely. Now I'm remembering. Um, yeah, we were actually on tour with Good Riddance at that time when we uh, when we broke up, and that was in 96. Okay. So that was, yeah, that was for, we were still touring on Behind Bars at that point.
1: Okay, so you break up, uh, you're touring on Behind Bars, uh, you break up about 96, when was the next time you guys kind of got back together, or realized, hey, we want to do another record, or we want to, you know, bury the hatchet and do whatever we need to do? Well,
0: so I believe it was June or July of '96 is when it ended, and then in February of '98. So, like, like a year, a little over a year and a half, not even a full two years. We, uh, I guess, Dennis and Joe started talking again and talked to me, and I was, I, I, at that point, I was like, sure, let's, let's go, let's try it again. And that's when we got together and we started writing. And uh, that's how Back on the Streets kind of came together.
1: And you guys recorded Back on the Streets at Sonic Iguana with Mass, correct? Over in Lafayette? We,
0: we did. And actually Behind Bars as well was okay. recorded there with Mass.
1: So do you still do any work over at Sonic Iguana? I know that you used to engineer a little bit over there and like produce. Yeah,
0: once in a great while, depending. Like the last band I worked on there is called The Mound Builders. And they're actually from uh, Lafayette and uh really good like kind of doomy sludge band um like metal band and i really like those guys but yeah that was the last time i actually worked at that studio um so it's been it's been a couple years but yeah once in a while i'll head out there and it's you know it's great to see mass when i can
1: well that's great i i i uh i've hit mass up to see if he'll be a guest so fingers crossed (laughs) i hope so that'd be cool um so okay so you guys get back together um I, I was so excited when I heard that you guys were back together. And when I I went out the day that it came out and got back on the streets, and it's got that sample from the Blues Brothers. We're getting the band back together. Yup. Uh huh. And I mean, as a fan of yours, and I mean, I'm not going to keep harping on this, but you guys, you guys <laughs> were a big deal for me. I heard that sample. and I'm like, oh man, I just it's like chills because you guys are. And the record was so great. Like the 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 record didn't stop. It had all of the pop sensibilities that i loved from you guys all of the hardcore i mean you guys even covered like Gorilla biscuits on there
0: not on that one actually we covered bad brains oh bad brains that, right? yeah, yeah you did F-E-K. bad brains F-E-K. okay yeah Which, I, it, that's such a hard cover cuz that that band was so awesome and still well i don't know if they still are but they were uh, they're still they were pre- awesome. they're
1: still pretty awesome
0: <laughs> yeah it, it's so hard to get hr's voice down and that was we did the best we could you know
1: <laughs> well i just i just remember that that record I mean, 100 proof kind of put everything together for me. That song, which I mean, that's probably my favorite song. I mean, it's hard to pick a favorite for me because I love everything. But that song, it had the melody, it had the heaviness, it had the intricacy of like the bass line that Joe was playing. It yep. was it was great. I mean, I'm sure you've heard that a lot. That song is very popular. Yep. Hey,
0: it's it's we still play to this day. So
1: that's a great song, man. Yeah. Okay, so back on the streets comes out. Uh, you guys are back on Hopeless Records. Yep uh does it come out to like fanfare does it do fairly well when it first comes out I mean
0: yeah actually it did really well when it first came out like the the, it we were really moving forward at that time that was the time where I was like holy cow this is the first time I'm seeing like a lot of forward movement and people really getting into it and it, it was exciting to say the least and we shortly followed it up with um with that split uh, with Kid Dynamite, I don't know if you were getting on getting to that yet,
1: dude. Kid Dynamite split that thing is that you that thing is untouchable. <laughs> in my mind, that thing is untouchable. Even like the Kid Dynamite songs next to the '88 songs, that's probably one of my top five records that I own.
0: Well, that's cool. Yeah, that was uh, yeah. So we came out with that in '99, and um, again, just because like again, back on the streets was doing well. We had more songs that we wanted to do, and it, it was just a really big flow. We had gone to, um, uh, we went to Europe in '99 to tour. Actually, we did it in '96 as well, but that was, you know, that was a little different. '99 was with Good Riddance, so we were. It was like the only time we were on a tour bus and really making things happen, um, doing a lot of touring in the in the U.S. and Canada. So uh, yeah, it was. That was a really growing period at that time.
1: So was there like a lot of talk at Hopeless where like you guys were kind of, you know, 88's the, like the flagship, like they're the, they're the band. Right.
0: I think we were like, at, at that point we were the big fish. Yeah. I would say so. Um, I'm trying to remember who else was on the label at that time. I mean, again, and obviously it didn't last too long cause you know, in 99, it everything fell apart again, but that's, uh, yeah, we were, we were moving at that point.
1: Well, can you, can you kind of take me back to then you guys are driving, you know, to that tour, where I was actually driving to watch you guys before my tour started and you guys don't make it there. The band at that point is probably at the height that has ever been like in popularity. What led it down that road? Was it just personalities within the band? I mean,
0: yeah, I I think so. I mean, I can bring it down. We didn't even make one show on that tour. We were actually driving out to uh, I forgot where the first show was, maybe like Seattle. But we were in, uh, I believe it was Rock Springs, Wyoming, and in the middle of the day, and we'd already been driving, like, I don't know, 20 hours or whatever it was, and we stopped to, you know, get some food, and there was already, like, a disparity between personalities. Um, We were going to eat at, like, let's say a Perkins, and Dennis is like, I'm going to go across the street and eat at Denny's, or whatever it was, and we're like, what the hell? Like, just, you know, and we're like, just come and eat with us. Why would you go there? It was kind of weird. weird. So we all sat down, we were eating, and again, as we were eating, it just started getting, like, heated. Um, I'm trying to remember exact details, but it it came down to, like, Dennis basically saying, I really don't want to do, I'm I'm not in the mindset to do this band right now, but I'm going to finish off this tour. It's like, we, we promised to do this, so we're going to do this. And Joe was the one that was like, you know what, I don't want to be on a stage with somebody who doesn't want to be doing this. And then the whole thing just kind of blew up. And you know, we tried talking it through. I remember trying to be the moderator and that didn't really work out. Then I remember being outside on a on a payphone, calling Hopeless Records, telling telling him that we broke up again, and he's just like, you know, Lewis, the owner was like, no way, you can't. You cannot do this. I'm like, it's happening. I I'm we've tried. This is just not working out. I'm, and then, I'm sure
1: uh, he was having a heart attack because I mean Oh, yeah. <laughs> he
0: had he had put in so much money already into our back on the streets recording our tour with good riddance and then the recording of the split with kid dynamite like he definitely put in a lot of money so i get where he would be coming from
1: and at that point Um, you guys were doing fairly well for the label so
0: yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) that's a scary thing there was a couple fists that flew i remember that uh (laughs) while i was on the phone (laughs) but uh yeah that was uh that was pretty crazy
1: well, so you guys broke up. Uh, what happened like in the near future right after that? Because I know that, you know, well, I'll, I mean, I'll tell you from my side of it, uh, that's right around probably a year or two later when my band Chronic Chaos actually came to record our first full length with you in Chicago at the bomb shelter. Yeah. And well, you you had been, um, 88 had been broke up for a couple of years, but you had other irons on the fire. What was going on after that?
0: Well, in 99 is when I actually started the bomb shelter, and uh, so that was kind of happening. And at the same time, Joe and I, from 88, we were just like, you know what? Unlike last time where we didn't want to find another singer, we actually – so in between the two breakups of 96 and 98, Joe and I actually formed a little band – Oh my God. I can't remember what the nice guys finished last. That's what it was called. I remember, only did, I
1: remember seeing like that name on the internet. Yeah,
0: We only did like a little, we did like a demo of like, I don't remember 10, 12 songs. I got to find that. That's somewhere. If you find it, please send it to me. <laughs> um, so anyway, so, so after the second breakup, uh, Joe and I were like, you know what? We've been jamming together for so long. And 88's got a name for itself. Let's look for a new singer. Let's instead of breaking up 88, we're actually going to look for a new singer. And during that time, like we literally, I think we tried out 12 or 13 singers and it was so harrowing. There were so many people that just sucked. It was sad where we're like, you know, you you can't even sing. And I remember, I I feel bad because I'm not going to say this person's name. I don't even remember their last (laughs) name. But there was one guy who tried out and I talked to him on the phone and he was the most... Uh, on the phone, I was like, I have such high hopes for this guy. He seems intelligent. He seems to know his voice. Like, he was describing things, like how his voice sounded. And I'm like, this guy knows what he's doing. And he – I don't know if he was nervous, but he came to the to the tryout and he had the – he's like, do you mind if I read off the lyric sheet, the lyric book? I'm like, no, whatever, man. You know, you still got to learn the lyrics, but that's fine. Dude, he started singing and he was terrible. <laughs> he was just way fast and everything. So needless to say, Joe and I started like losing interest in just doing 88. And then we're just like, maybe we need to do a different band. And, um, so we were looking for singers for another band. We, we were telling ourselves we'd find a drummer later. And that's when we actually went to Indianapolis to see, I believe it was sick of it all in good riddance play at the Emerson. And so me and Joe were there and Tim McElrath was there and I didn't know who Tim was but uh Joe knew him from a band called Baxter and was just basically like, hey, there's this dude, Tim, here. I, he's like a really good singer. Maybe we could try him out for the band, you know, start a new band or whatever. And we did. We went and talked with him. And that was pretty much the beginnings of Rise Against at that point.
1: Yeah, I, I had listened. I was actually a fan, I think, prior to that uh, of Tim's stuff. I liked the Baxter stuff. And I really liked the Killing Tree.
0: Killing Tree. I forgot where that. When that was happening If that was before Rise Against I know it was during I think it was somewhere
1: Somewhere around there I just remember like Hearing something Like you know Early days of the internet Like I used to go to Like a Chicago Like hardcore forum Or something Just to find out about bands Yeah yeah totally but, yeah, so uh, continue. Sorry, I didn't want to cut you off. So you guys started, no, that's, started Rise Against and uh, immediately started recording stuff? Or, like, how, what was the process?
0: Um, we did. So since I had the studio, and at that time I, it was hilarious because I hadn't, I didn't even have enough mics, I don't think, at that time to record a full drum set. But I did have electronic drums. So we ended up demoing, like, Rise Against songs on electronic drums
1: I think those were the uh, first demos that you played for me when we were up there at the studio, because I remember you were very kind of, Oh, these are electronic drums. Don't take it. Like, don't listen to those. Just, just listen to the the rest (laughs) of listen to the songs. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Not, not the production quality, but anyways, we, we ended up sending that out to fat Mike uh, from fat records and he dug on it. He was like, Oh, this is good. And we didn't have a name at that point. Um, But what was funny is Warp Tour was happening, I think that must have been 99. Maybe it was a little earlier. Maybe it was 99. Nine, yeah, it had to have been 99. We went to Detroit Warp Tour to meet up with Mike. He's like, hey, I want you guys to come out. I want to meet with you guys and chat with you. And um, so two things happened that were hilarious. Well, one was we were trying to come up with names in the car on the, on the car ride up. And again, at this point, it was just me, Joe, and Tim were riding up there. And Tim had actually come up with the name Zero to Sixty. And we're like, oh, that's pretty cool. We all liked it. Um, and when we told told Fat Mike about the name, because Fat Mike's like, hey, I'm interested in signing you guys. I want to do something. And he's like, do you guys have a name? And we told him Zero to 60. He's like, nah, He goes, you got to pick something different. Because he's like, I've already got a band called Zero Down. And I don't want to have two bands with the, the word zero in there. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right. So needless to say, a little later on, I came up with Rise Against. And we went with that. But the funny thing is, is. He was hanging out. Now, we were friends with Good Riddance. So on this warp Tour, he had the demos with him. This was before we met up with him in Detroit. And he had played these tunes to Good Riddance and said, hey, there's a new band I'm thinking about signing. Um, what do you guys think of this? I'm going to play it for you. And, you know, didn't tell him who we were or anything. And they they totally knew it was us because they heard the demos. We had sent it to them because we were looking for a drummer. And they were looking for a drummer. And that's how we got actually Brandon um because that was their like second choice after dave wagon shoots when they were finding somebody anyways i know i'm going off on a tangent no tangents are great man we've got tons of time (laughs) so 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 mike played the songs for them and like ross and chuck were like in their heads they're like oh my god this is joe and dan's band and they're like oh yeah these guys are great you should totally sign them you know (laughs) whether they i know they like the music i'm not saying they didn't but it was still i think that was uh a very helpful thing and You
1: got the stamp of approval from uh, Good Riddance, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: and so that I think that made it happen for us, you know
1: Well, that's great So what was the process after that? I mean, you know I know Fat is kind of like a handshake kind of label, right?
0: Yeah, it, it was kind of weird Because they were like Dude, just go in and record And we're like, okay um, And we were talking to Mike We're like, what's our budget? And he's like, just whatever Just go and make a good record and we're like, okay <laughs> So we went in to, uh, to Sonic Iguana, and we spent, I mean, I, we spent the equivalent of six weeks in there. Now, in reality, it was five weeks, but the reason I always call it six is because the last week, we literally ran the studio 24 hours a day. Um, we had so much, like, to catch up on. And remember, this was before, this was digital ADAT, but this was before any visual waveforms that you could see on a computer monitor so when you played it wrong you played it again and if it wasn't tight enough for mass you played it again and so there was a and i mean we already had that experience with um when we did back on the streets for 88 fingers louis because that took like five weeks to record but this one like was really like i said insane last week 9 a.m we'd start recording bass tracks by like three, um, we started doing vocals. And at that time I was assisting as an engineer from vocals from three to about eleven. And then at midnight, uh Philip Hill from the Teen Idols was engineering me while I played guitar from midnight to about eight AM. Wow. And then all of a sudden it would start again. So bass would start at nine AM. I'd go sleep in, in the guitar booth with the foam and with earplugs and try to fall asleep while the bass was booming, you know, two rooms over. So, and that was a whole week of that. So it was pretty brutal, but, uh, anyway, so what we did was we recorded the whole thing and we finally get a total tally on how much it's costing us. And really, when you think about it compared to other bands, it really wasn't that much, but it was the most we had spent and it was 35 grand. So we, I remember calling up and talking to the, the label manager. I think it was Mark. I think that was his name. And he's like, oh yeah, so everything's done. I was like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, well, what's the total? And I'm like, thirty five thousand. And he like, I thought he was gonna shit his pants (laughs) because he he literally was like, what? What?" He's like, who approved this budget? And I'm like, Mike just told us to go ahead and record and don't worry about the budget, you know. And I know there were other bands spending fifty k and more at that time, so um, so he was kind of taken aback, but they made it happen, you know. They they paid. And uh, we put out the record, so,
1: so that that record, I remember the one thing you're talking about the wrestling ring. So now we can get into that. Uh,
0: Okay, yeah. Oh, and the record was called the Unraveling. The Unraveling. That's yeah.
1: It's wonderful. It's got an alien on the cover. It's really really good. It's weird, yeah. I've, I've still got a hoodie, the Unraveling hoodie that I got off of you, and I still wear it all the time, and people have no idea what it is. They go, is that a really a Rise Against hoodie? I'm like, yeah, it's the first Rise Against hoodie. <laughs>
0: is it, does it have the album
2: cover on
1: it? It's got the album cover alien on the front. It's not a zippy. It's just an actual hoodie. A
0: hoodie, yeah, pullover, yeah. yeah. Okay, God.
1: I wear it all the time, and people are like, I love Rise Against. Is that really one of their shirts? I'm like, yeah, it's the first one.
0: <laughs> first one, yeah, that's awesome.
1: But, uh, yeah, so – I used to help run this place in Marion, Indiana, called the Rain Tree Theater, and it's yep. an old movie theater. And they also had this guy that ran it that did wrestling, like you know, amateur wrestling. Yep. And you guys were kind of on this little run for releasing the record. You'd done, like, I think, something, something in some other state, but Chronic Chaos, my band, was putting out a record that you had produced. Yep. And we were having a release show, and we asked you guys to come play. I remember Mass came with you guys, like it was the whole entourage. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. He was there.
1: Yeah, Mass was there selling merch or whatever, just hanging out. (laughs) And we all played on the wrestling ring, and like the amps were falling over, and it was, yeah, it was a nightmare.
0: (laughs) It it was weird. Yeah, because it was like, it was like almost like how huge concerts will do the concert in the round where they're in the center and the, the crowds all around them, but obviously they're not on a, on a trampoline style wrestling (laughs) rink. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was
1: crazy. I remember, uh, there was a, there was a, an interview somewhere where Tim, I think alternative press talked about the worst show he ever played in rise against. And that was the show.
0: That was it really. Yeah. And then
1: when (laughs) when I, I went to see them in Orlando one time, I was on tour with another band and they were playing down the street and I walked in and I saw Tim and I'm like, worst show ever, huh, man? <laughs> and nice. he was he was like, "Oh, I didn't mean that," you know. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's so, funny. So, so uh Rise Against is going strong. Um you don't want if you don't want to get into so much of it, you don't have to, but like what led you to kind of leave, I guess is my question. Well,
0: uh, you know, I've I've done I've done another podcast on this where I like spilled the kind of spilled the beans cuz I was drunk. But anyways, <laughs> uh long story short was the fact that I mean, they they wanted me to make a lot of changes um eight of my appearance uh with my hair and the clothes I wore and they also felt that I was like taking control of the band which I could kind of see because I was me and Joe came from 88 where we handled like all the the monetary stuff and the business side of things so we kind of continued doing that in Rise Against and I was even more so with my hands in there and I remember telling them I'm like look if you want me to have be less hands-on and you guys want to take care of stuff I'm all for that. That's that I can handle, but I'm like, if you want me to cut my hair and change the way I look, you know what? Sorry, I'm not going to be part of that. And then we went back and forth and I still actually played another show with them. Um, And they were, yeah, it was just, it was a really weird, like week. Um, And then that was it. It was done. So,
1: so, I mean, is there, are you guys cool now? I mean, I know there was probably some bad blood there for a while.
0: Yeah, it's weird. I mean, when when I see them, I'm civil with them and, and whatever. And I don't, you know, I I really don't hold them any ill will. They did what they did and whatever. But it's it's still, it's, it's not like we're good friends. It sucks because me and Joe were like the closest of friends for nine years, uh, you know, during 88 and all that. So obviously it'll never be like that again. But it was, uh, it, it, we're civil. I could say that.
1: Okay, so we'll stop talking about The Rise Again stuff.
0: It's all good. I don't <laughs> care. I really don't. But
1: no, but I, I'm actually, I really am excited about the new stuff. So you guys ah. you guys put out the the live DVD CD back in, was that 2012 or 13?
0: To, no, it's actually 2009. 2009, so we, okay. So we, yeah, we decided, I forgot how this came about even, if it was Dennis or whatever, um, bringing up, he's like, man, do you realize we broke up? in 99. And it's, you know, it's, it's 2009. Now it's been 10 years since we were a band. He's like, would you want to do like just one show, like a reunion thing, you know? And I'm like, yeah, what the hell? Why not? And I'm like, I've got the studio. I've got a mobile. I've been running the studio for 10 years now. Like I've got a mobile rig where I record live bands, you know, or bands in the live format once in a while. I'm like, I could bring that. I'm like, I've got some friends that we could pay to videotape it or whatever. That might be cool. So we did all this, and or we started planning it, and literally I couldn't believe, like we played the Bottom Lounge at 700 Capacity Club, and it sold, I forgot if it sold out right away, but it sold a ton of tickets, like, really quickly. And there were people there from, like there was a dude from New Zealand, wow. Australia, um, and a bunch of other people that, just from all over the place that came to see us. So it was really, really cool. And I think that was the first, like, bump into – Dennis and I going, and John, for that matter, is being like, holy cow, people still like us, you know? Yeah. So at that point, we I tried, like, convincing them into writing some music because I had tons of music ready to go. I shouldn't say tons, but I had at least four or five songs. I'm like, you know, we could use these. These are songs I've been writing over the last few years. And um, we were doing some stuff, but it didn't really... It didn't really pan out like 2010 was the last time we kind of did a few more shows in December and we just kind of let it go again. It wasn't like we're breaking up or we're pissed off at each other. It was just like, you know what, this is, this is cool. We're doing, we did it, but it's not like not everyone was on the same page wanting to move forward. Yeah. So that was cool. We let it go. Um. But then 2013 is where I think that was the real, um, the real catalyst to get this, version of the band up and running and uh it's been i mean we were in 2018 it's kind of crazy that i think this is the longest the band's been together (laughs) when you really think about it 2013 you know
1: i was going through my notes and like because i mean i don't need notes to talk to you because i'm a i'm a geek when it comes to your band (laughs) but (laughs) i was going through like timelines and stuff and i was writing it down i was like man this might be longer than any time they were ever together back in the day
0: (laughs) it is then it's it's crazy because it's like we did we accomplished a lot in short spurts of time back in the day and this i think has taken us a lot longer to get you know an album going like okay so obviously we came out with a new album in june of 2017 uh called thank you for being a friend and i mean think about it the last album we did was 19 years prior
1: yeah that's insane
0: so yeah that's crazy (laughs) And being older and stuff, it took us a lot longer to kind of write. Even though I had a bunch of songs and a lot of riffs written, we still kind of wanted to work out some songs all together. I mean, there's a song that, like, our new bass player, Nat, wrote pretty much from the beginning to the end, at least a lot of the riffs. And then another one that John Carroll wrote, um, again, the basic riffs and the basic drumbeat wrote all the way through. So it was cool to come together together, and work on a lot of these songs together as a band instead of me just, you know, throwing out, oh, here are songs that are already done. Which I had about four or five of them that were like, hey, these are done. Just come up with vocal lines and lyrics and we're good to go. But the other ones, it was cool working together as a band after all these years and realizing, hey, we still got something here. It's actually better than ever because we've grown musically and, you know, with our knowledge of music and everything, it's, it's been really good.
1: And the recording process, you guys did it at your studio, right? At the bomb shelter.
0: Yeah, we did it at my, my studio and how it was a little different from back in the day. Well, obviously back in the day, you know, we went to Sonic Iguana in Lafayette and we spent, you know, five weeks there all in a row. Maybe we, I mean, we might've done like four weeks and gone home for a little bit, then come back a week for mixing or something like that. Well, this having the studio, obviously right here in Chicago, where we're all from it, I just made time, I I made time around their schedules, because everyone's working, so first, you know, came in with John, had click tracks laid out, I had done scratch guitar tracks ahead of time so he could follow, and I forgot we spent maybe three days on the drums, and really, you know, really beating him up to make sure, again, he's an awesome player, but making sure that every part was exactly what we wanted like making sure that the drums were locking in with the the guitar picking and the and the thoughts of what the bass were going to you know the bass is, the bass was planned to be um so that was that and then you know me and Nat would just go back and forth when he when he had time he'd come in lay down some bass tracks when I was by myself I'd lay down guitar tracks um a lot easier in the digital age uh you know just having just going and recording a few takes and then kind of splicing it together for wherever I played best um, and then Dennis, so my biggest fear was Dennis because we had done demos, uh, at our practice spot before, and it was weird. Cause I was listening to Dennis's voice and he, he just, it was like, it sounded good, but he just didn't, it's like, he wasn't pushing himself. I was like, man, I, I hope the album doesn't sound like this. He just feels like, you know, he's not there. So we planned it where we did, uh, we did two weekends. We did a Saturday and Sunday. We did three songs on Saturday, three songs on Sunday, waited for the next weekend, sang another three songs on the Saturday and then the the last three on Sunday. And when Dennis came in, he was so focused and he brought it like, I mean, you could hear it on the record, how good he sounded. And it was cool to see that transition of, okay, he's not messing around. This isn't just something where he's just doing it because we're talking about it. He is as wholeheartedly into this as we are. And
1: um, well, I got proof- I got to say the production on the record is I mean, I've always really liked your work, but it's the best thing I've ever heard come out of the bomb shelter. Well, it is thanks. immaculate. It is great, man.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. And it's I mean, we I spent time on it, but not nearly five weeks. You know what I mean? So it was it's cool to be able to do that. Things are faster in the studio working with digital, obviously, and um, and splicing and whatnot. And obviously, I've been doing it for so damn long now you know 18 19 years where it's i'm quick too so that helped the whole process but um the fact that everyone came in and just killed it on their parts was the other awesome thing like i didn't have to worry about punching in a million times because people sucked people came in they did what they had to do and it it sounded great
1: so it wasn't like a chronic chaos session (laughs)
0: Oh, it's not like most of my sessions, but you know what? I, you know, we all beat each other up during the rehearsals where it's like, okay, this is good, but this could be better. And let's not mess this up. You know, let's really pay attention to every little detail. And we did. And I think it came out great. We're all super. I just want you to
1: know that, like, you made me a better guitar player because I mean, I know it's, I was making a joke about my band recording with you, but when I was doing guitar tracks, You were like a drill sergeant on those parts, man. And it made made me look at what I was doing differently. And I thank you once again for that because I'm a better guitarist.
0: You're welcome. And that comes from Mass teaching me that because I didn't know. It's like you think you know what you're playing. And then someone points out those little intricacies that you're like, I never even heard that. I I never heard that I was hitting extra strings or that my timing was just that little bit off. But now that I hear it, now I know what to strive for. And it... I hear that a lot from, again, me going into Mass's studio. I became a better guitarist because of Mass. And I hear the people coming out of my studio, same thing. They're like, holy cow, I'm a better, whether it be a guitar player or drummer or bassist or singer, they're all like, we've learned something. We know something better about ourselves and where we can improve. So that's that's always an awesome thing, how it's just that kind of, that relationship that just keeps rolling along from musician to musician to band. And it keeps going. I love that. It
1: it definitely helped me out, but, uh, it, it just made everything that I play that much more precise, which I guess is where you get your name, Mr. Precision from. (laughs) Okay. Uh, so I want to hear about the new album. Then it came out on bird attack records. Uh, it's called thank you for being a friend. I, I think that's a nod to the golden girls. Correct. It,
0: it very much is. Yeah. Um, it's funny that John, actually our drummer, John Carroll came up with that. We were on tour and uh, we were kind of trying to think of good titles for, for the record. And we had, ar- I forgot if we had started using that golden girls uh, intro music as our intro music for the, the live show. I don't, I don't think we had yet, but he basically came up with that and we're like, dude that's awesome because obviously we we love the golden girls that's the joke thing but beyond that it really has meaning to all our fans who waited for so long and still stuck around to hear our new tunes you know and weren't like all these guys are has-beens or whatever so it it really fit it was cool
1: well i i i love the record man uh you guys have been doing some touring recently to promote the record. I know you yeah. did some things in Europe. Uh, I know that the thing that I wanted to speak with you about was your trip to Hawaii, which is when we had the big, like, nuclear bomb scare. Oh, God, yeah. Can you speak a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, so we did we did three shows. We did one show in Fullerton, California, um, to kind of get us close to Hawaii. And then we flew and we did two shows in Hawaii, one in Honolulu and one on the island of Kauai. And uh, awesome shows. I mean, they were, it was small because obviously those are small islands. But so we had played Honolulu the one night and the next morning we wake up and we're kind of getting ready to, you know, we got to go catch another flight to get to the other island in a few hours. And all of a sudden I get this text that says, you know, nuclear, but I forgot the exact wording, but the missile strike headed for Hawaii or, Hon- you know, and they're like, this is not a drill. This is for real. And I'm like, What? You know, so it was kind of surreal, and I remember, you know, waking some of the guys up, and uh, actually, I think they were awake, but just being like, dude, did you guys get this on your phone? And I think only two of the other guys, like, Nat never got it on his phone. He's like, what the hell? But I'm like, I I don't know what to think of this, but we got to do something. So... I don't know. I was in the mindset where if a bomb's really coming in, it's coming to like Honolulu, like we're going to be, we're going to be dead no matter where we go. <laughs> yeah. So, cause some people are like, okay, well let's go under buildings and whatever. And I was like, well, two things. If we're in a building and the building collapses, it's probably going to be dead too. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to the beach. <laughs> we were literally, we were literally like a block and a half off the beach. I'm like, I'm walking to the beach. If, if it's going to happen, we're probably gonna get fried, whatever. So I ended up calling my girlfriend, and she was, like, kind of getting freaked out on the phone. And I actually couldn't believe how calm I was. I was just like, well, this is, you know, this could be it. I don't know. But it (laughs) it was weird. I think it just didn't hit me full force. Um, But, yeah, John and I walked to the beach. I think Dennis and and, uh, Nat just stayed behind. Like, uh, I think they went outside of the building. But, you know, there's some high-rises there. So I wanted to get far away from the buildings. And we went out there, and after, I don't know, about 20 minutes, we're like, okay, what's going on? all of a sudden people started walking back and then there started being news of like, Oh, they think this was, you know, a mistake or whatever they were saying at that time. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was quite a surreal situation.
1: I just, I remember like, I mean, cause I, I follow you guys on, I mean, we're all friends on Facebook and everything yeah. and I, I got like the land in Hawaii and all this, like these nice, like, like status updates from you and Dennis and, and then uh-huh. all, all of a sudden, like I see somebody post something from one of my other friends, like there's going to be a nuclear bomb in Hawaii. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, my favorite band is going to get killed. In yeah. Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, it was weird. It's definitely weird.
1: So, um. I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. This has been a lot of fun. I like to keep these around, you know, 30 or 40 minutes because I don't want people to get, you know, like these guys talk forever.
0: Yeah, I know, and I'm pretty long-winded, so yeah. So am I normally. (laughs) So you you and
1: I could talk forever. I've got all kinds of questions, but
0: my We can do a part two at another time.
1: (laughs) I'd love to do a part two, but what I'd really like to know about uh, right here at the ending is uh, the future for the band, if this record's like a one-off or if it's going to continue. And... What can we expect, man?
0: Okay, so no, it, there's going to be a continuation. Like I've already got songs rolling around in my head and a few riffs that re- that have been recorded. And obviously, we've been touring quite a lot. And because we're older and jobs and whatnot, it's harder to like just crank stuff out like we used to in our 20s. Um, but we're 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 going to be working on a new album for sure. Uh, when when it comes out, what label it'll be on, I have no idea. That's so like. I think the new way we're looking at things is let's not force ourselves to do stuff. Cause that's what we did in the past. And I think that's what led to higher stress levels and us ultimately breaking up. So right now we're like, we really enjoy this. Why should we make this like another job? Why don't we make it? It's fun. Let's do it on our own time. When we could start getting it together, we will. So we're, we're going to be starting to write new material. I'd say pretty soon. I mean, definitely we're going to start writing this year. So hopefully maybe a 2019 release, you know,
1: Sounds great to me man.
0: Yeah, sounds great to me as well.
1: <laughs> and and let me let me just, you know, let you know that if anything ever changes and you're like, "You know what? We need these guitars to be thicker." You can call me up, and I would yep. gladly be the rhythm no, guitarist. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> well, I live, thank you. I live in Indiana again, so I'm super close, man.
0: Yeah, that's really close.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Dan, I just want to say you're a great guy, great musician. You, Thanks, Chris. You've, you've really changed my life for the better, and I really appreciate you for everything you've done with 88, with Rise Against. I just, You're a stand-up guy, and I'm really glad you're my buddy, and thank you so much for being on the show.
0: Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. I'm glad I'm glad I could be part of this and 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 everything else. It's uh, it's been great. So thank you.
1: Well, uh, part two, I'm going to hold you to that because I, I can't wait to talk to you again. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well,
0: yeah, and we could talk we could talk outside too. you know, outside of podcast. So
1: <laughs> cool. So uh, I tell you what, man, everybody should check out the bomb shelter, correct? Your studio.
0: Yeah. bombshelterchicago.com dot com. Or on Facebook,
1: where can they get the new 88 record at?
0: uh band camp either through uh the 88 fingers Louie band camp or the bird attack band camp um actually we're going to be putting vinyl up because the vinyl all sold out on bird attack but on the 88 band camp within pretty soon we're what is this we're in april i'm saying in the before may i think we should have vinyl available there's only a bit left but there's some that we're gonna just put up up there you know
1: Awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, man, I'm going to I'm going to play a couple 88 songs. Uh, one of my favorites. And I'm going to ask you, is there a certain song off the new record you just think everyone should hear that I could play?
0: I don't know. I, I like a, quite a lot of them. You know what? One of my favorites is Turned to Gray. Turned I really to Gray.
1: Like yeah. OK, well, I'm going to play that. and I'm going to play my favorite. And, Dan, thank you once again, man. It's been great. And I can't wait to talk to you again, buddy. Thanks, Chris. Yes. Take care. See you later, man. Bye bye. And there it was, my conversation with Mr. Precision, Dan Vaklinski of 88 Fingers Louie and Rise Against. Uh, Dan and I go pretty far back, uh, like I said in the intro, about 19 years to be exact. But uh, Dan's such a great guy. I love speaking with Dan. I'm really glad that you know he's a good buddy of mine. Not only a good buddy of mine, but he was also in one of my favorite bands of all time. So uh, thank you once again for listening to this. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. I This thing is growing, actually more than I thought it would pretty quickly. So please keep sharing, uh, letting people know about the podcast is the best thing that you can do to help us out. Uh, You know, throw us a like on any of the social media platforms. It's T O T O T podcast on all of the social media platforms. Um, I'm not going to have a podcast up next week. I'm pretty sure Uh, my son Silas is turning two and we are driving to Alabama to see my in-laws to celebrate his birthday So I've just got way too much going on to try to get one of these out. It is actually a lot of work, even though it might not sound like it is. It is a lot of work. So uh, we will return probably in May with the next episode, episode five. And uh, I've got a couple guests lined up, and I'm not sure which one will be next. So I'm not going to really let you know. You're just going to have to keep checking to find out who's coming up next. But it will be worth your time. I guarantee it. So thank you so much once again for being a part of this thing. Thanks for letting me into your life on your commute to work or just sitting around your house. Whenever you listen to this, I really appreciate it. But I'm going to leave you with two songs this week. Turn to Gray By 88 Fingers Louie, which is on their new record, Thank You for Being a Friend, out now on Bird Attack Records. Please pick that up. You can go to their Bandcamp, iTunes. You can get it pretty much anywhere. You can also get it at good record stores if if they still exist where you live. The second song I'm going to be playing for you is a Rise Against song off of their debut album, The Unraveling, which came out on Fat Records. Uh, It's called Ever Changing. So first up, we've got Turn to Gray from 88 Fingers Louie, which just came out a few months ago. And then you've got Ever Changing by Rise Against um, that came out, I believe, 2001, 2002 on Fat Records. So here you go. I hope you enjoy it. Please keep coming back. These podcasts are great. I appreciate you guys so much. So here we go. Enjoy. 88 Fingers Louie and Rise Against.